how's everybody feeling out there? Um, where to begin with this? So I'm excited about what I'm going to share, but I'm going to, I'm going to preface it with this because I know people are going to get triggered. Uh, and, and I just want to say, like, this is totally brand new stuff to me, totally brand new stuff to me. So, uh, I found, um, a video. Some of you seen it on my timeline or watched it or know, um, uh, what I'm referring to, uh, doctor, I'm trying to remember his first name. That's why I'm stuttering or blocking with my speech. Um, anyway, Dr. Hoffman, he's a university professor at the University of California, Irvine. But when I first saw, I saw an interview with him and another, uh, medical doctor talking about the nature of reality and consciousness. And it was just absolutely mind blowing. And so I thought initially he was a quantum physicist. Um, but it turns out he's a, uh, uh, specializes in cognitive sciences. So he's a, basically a psychologist, but he, he specialized and did work specifically on perception. The early part of his career, specifically, um, visual perception. Brilliant guy. Mind blowing. Definitely way above my pay grade to even understand what he's talking about, if you know what I mean. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background on him, he did his doctoral, uh, he did his doctorate work at MIT and then was one of the early uh, people studying and working on artificial intelligence at MIT. And then, like I said, now he's been a professor at uh, University of California, Irvine. He's written a book called The Case Against Reality. And uh, so I've been uh, just diving into his work just for a week, right? Just for a week, just looking at some of his stuff. But it was so fascinating and tied together with so many different things that I just really, really wanted to share. Give me one second real quick. Uh, sorry, fumbling a little bit today. One second. All right. So, <clears throat> so here's my, uh, these are my disclaimers. What I'm going to share with you are not even my ideas. And I'm not saying this is how it is. I'm not saying this is what I believe. I'm not trying to assert or affirm anything. Number one, I'm just going to share with you what Dr. Hoffman's thoughts are as I understand them after about watching four interviews and thinking about it for a week. And But it confirms so many things that intuitively I've thought about. So that's number one. Uh, number two is I am not a scientist or a mathematician. Uh, so this could be total bullshit. So I'm saying all that to say, uh, because I, I, I posted a couple interviews and people already got triggered. Um, <laughs> so this isn't, this is just to put this out here. This is to maybe have some discussion or, or to stimulate some things. But at the same time, if his theories hold up to be true, or if what he's saying is mathematically true or provable about consciousness and reality is true, then uh, it has some exciting uh, uh, thing. It explains a lot of things with spirituality 
And if we can somehow loosen our grip on our model of reality, then I think we can become opened up to new possibilities. So I'm just throwing this out here, not as something Aaron believes, not even as something that Aaron understands. I'm sure I'll get a lot of it wrong. And anybody that's more fluent in math and science, uh, go for it. Uh, not my specialties at all. In fact, I have a, a, there's a form of math dyslexia that I'm convinced that I have. I flunked algebra three times. Uh, but, but nevertheless, one of the things I have a deep appreciation for math and science. And let's, let's just, let's just be honest. I was thinking about this last night. That when it comes to our world and our experience in the world, don't, don't be intimidated by math and science, but just realize that everything, 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 everything has some mathematical equation, formula, algorithm, something, uh, supporting it or explaining it, everything from the number of, uh, pine needles on the pine trees in my backyard to my, the number of cells, the, the, my size, the, the way stuff goes on inside the body to the house that we're living in to the fact that I'm able to come to you live and we can interact and you can make comments and all that stuff is based on math, right? It's based on mathematics. And it's mathematics that makes that possible in science. So everything in our lives is based on or made possible by mathematics, by math and science, right? So, uh, and then also, also, it gives us a explanation for reality that allows us, at least to some degree, to bypass our confirmation biases, to get past our, our cognitive biases about what we think is real. And so it allows for some kind of objectivity, right? Um, math, science, logic allows for objectivity. And I guess in some sense, although <laughs> not so sure in the last year, stuff I've been seeing, uh, but some kind of a shared agreement on what is true or real. So, uh, back to Dr. Hoffman. So Dr. Hoffman is a, uh, he, he studies, uh, the science of perception or perception and consciousness. And the psychology or the neuroscience of perception is something that's always been really, really interesting to me. I, I was thinking about this last night. I can go all the way back to my freshman year in college at Adams State college in Alamosa, Colorado, 18 years old. And one of the strongest memories I have of that time, one of the most powerful memories I have of that time is sitting in my introduction to psychology class. And Dr. Marvin Martz, I think was his name. I could see him. And he's talking about the psychology of perception, specifically visual perception, and how we don't perceive the world as it is. Um, that that everything that we see, that this is just really basic, everything that we see is an image created by our mind to give us a map or model of reality. So we know that the eye basically has receptors that's receiving light, has light receptors, and somehow our brain takes those light receptors and then translates it into an image that we see out there, but the seeing isn't really going on out there. The thing's going on in the brain or the thing's going on in perception. So one of the classic things that you'll see if you know the, the old woman 
young lady drawing where if you look at it one way, you see an old woman. If you look at it a different way, you see a young woman. That's all based on gestalt psychology or, or the, the psychology of or the science of perception. So one of the things that if you've listened to me for any time at all that I've been asserting for decades, literally decades, is that we the map is not the territory. We don't experience the world as it is because in order to make sense, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, in order to make sense, have sensory perception of the world, we have to edit by deleting, generalizing, and distorting reality. And so Gregory Bateson, uh, you know, says that, that, that we're being bombarded with about 200 million little bits of information out there, pieces of stimuli coming at us out there, and that we only have the capacity to focus on between five to nine parts of that information. And so basically, I mean, if you think about that, 200 million pieces of information, and we focus on, at least with our conscious mind, we edit out all of that, but five to nine, which means that we're not, yeah, Daryl says, preach that NLP, brother. That's the whole basis for NLP, neuro linguistic programming. But it's, but, but it's not a part of neuro linguistic programming, um, in the sense that these were theories that were around, uh, that, or science that was around that was the foundation for neuro linguistic programming. So everybody agrees, basically, um, like I said, even an introduction to psychology class 30 years ago, <laughs> that our brain creates a reality for us, right? And that we're not experiencing the fullness of reality. We're just experiencing a sliver of what's real. So that's the first thing. Other thing, I, I forgot to mention this, I want to come back to this, because the other thing I found fascinating, if you listen to atheists today, if you listen to um, even doctors, even some uh, neurologists uh, today, the the old model, there, there's like these competing models of consciousness. The competing models of consciousness are this, that the brain creates consciousness, that Basically, being a human being is a result of evolutionary chance and change. And that we're just these machines, these organic machines that are the result of evolutionary processes that took place after a long period of time. And that the neurons, you've got, uh, I want to say 200 billion neurons in your brain, and you've got something like six trillion synapses. Do you think about that? <laughs> Billions of neurons and trillions of synapses. And that all that firing and all that stuff that's going on in there and all those pathways, that that in and of itself creates mind, creates feeling, creates experience, creates emotion, creates the ability to think and reason and hope and fall in love and all that stuff. Now, The other model of consciousness is that consciousness exists outside the brain or outside the body and uses the brain 
to somehow interface with reality. So it's kind of the question, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Does the brain produce consciousness or does consciousness inhabit the brain and use the brain? And traditional scientists, evolutionary scientists, phys, uh, those are locked into, you know, like I said, sort of, uh, this, this is all there is, and it's a result of millions of years of evolutionary adaptation. Atheists will say the brain is creating consciousness. Now, Dr. Hoffman, what makes Dr. Hoffman interesting is uh, he really does appear to follow the science and follow the math. And one of the statements that he makes in one of his interviews is that there is not a single theory or mathematically verifiable or scientifically provable thing anywhere, idea, like I said, theory, idea, or proof, or formulation that can prove or explain how the neurons and the chemistry and the synapses and everything in your brain produces consciousness, which is really interesting because that's an accepted assumption of reality that there is no scientific or mathematical or even a theory of explanation for. Now, this is growing in this field because I've seen uh, lots of videos from professors. There's a professor at Stanford who also studies uh, the visual cortex. I forget his name. Uh, There's another lady at one of the Ivy League schools who is definitely postulating that consciousness exists outside the brain, that consciousness comes first. Now, when you're saying consciousness comes first, now you're talking the language of spirituality. Now we're talking about that somehow consciousness is able to put on flesh and have experiences in this world out here. And that's what all our spiritual traditions have told us for millennia. But what's so cool and interesting is that there are so many smart people that are using science and math now to explain these realities, or at least come up with theories based on science and math. And so Dr. Hoffman says, based on the mathematical computations and computer simulations and his understanding, he believes the science and the math has led him to believe that the consciousness comes first. Now, this is where we take the trip down the rabbit hole with Dr. Hoffman. And this is where it gets really fascinating. Because I always assumed, like, like I loved using the Matrix movies. For those of you that are familiar with them, great, just such a great, wonderful explanation and metaphor for how we all live in our own perception of reality. But now here's, here's the difference between where I was at and where Dr. Hoffman is and the way he was challenging my thinking. I uh, assumed prior to this week, I knew that I was not seeing all of reality. But I assumed that what at least the sliver of reality that I was seeing was reality or is reality. In other words, I'm I'm editing out all this stuff 
here, but I'm assuming that what I'm experiencing is real out there. That, 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 that at least the sliver, the section of reality, and I'm talking about the three-dimensional world, I'm talking about physics and physical reality, that at least what I'm experiencing is real. And Dr. Hoffman posits that none of it is real. That Now, he's not denying that there's a world out there, but he's saying from the perspective of all sensory perception in the human being or in any species, none of it is actually real. Now, I'll, I'll try to explain how he gets there. Mm. One of the things I meant to mention, too, was... Uh, this is where quantum physics comes into play. And this is why it's so difficult now that we're having to rethink or, you know, these guys, like I said, are smarter than me and way above my pay grade. How they uh, think about reality, a lot of it's based on quantum physics. So the classic experiment within quantum physics is the double slit experiment. And in the double slit experiment, um, they pass photons through these slits. And when an observer is absent, every time the photon acts like a wave and splits. So if you think about a wave of water going through a slit, it's going to split, and that's going to be the pattern. But when there is an observer, every time the wave collapses into a particle, so now a particle can't split it like this. particle has to choose which way it's going. So it's making a conscious choice, first of all, to make – this is – you know – at the smallest level of reality, you have these little particles of energy that are conscious enough to make a choice and conscious enough to act like a wave when the observer is absent, but to collapse into a particle when an observer is present. So that's that's the basis of a lot of this quantum physics stuff. Now, what they've done is they've studied, uh, uh, they, they've performed these studies where they will introduce the observer after the fact, a length of time after the fact. And if they introduce the observer after the fact, the photon acts like a particle. If they introduce no observer, the photon acts like a wave. So here's the thing. The photon knows ahead of time whether or not there's going to be an observer before the choice of whether or not there's going to be an observer later is ever made. So that messes up our concept of time. The other thing that they've done is they've taken photons and create and split them and created twins and fired them in different directions. One experiment I was reading up to seven miles. I have no idea how they do this stuff or if they just simulate. I have no idea. I'm just telling you what, what I read seven miles, and there's various different obstacles and pathways. And what they discovered was that the photon, every single time, these photon twins, once they get seven miles apart, then they will make the same decisions about how they're going to travel through this obstacle course with total precision. So there's apparent communication. <coughs> so that breaks down our model of space. And the fact that there's an observer, so it messes up space-time, and the fact that there's an observer means that consciousness is connected to what we perceive, at least, as reality out there, okay?
So let's come back to Dr. Hoffman and his work. So he uses several different examples to explain this, but one of, one of the examples, I'm, I'm just trying to throw out, like I said, this is how I understand it, and I'm a, I'm a week old into this, so I'm sure I'm messing it up, but it's fascinating to think about. Uh, one, one of the things that, that, that they understand is the difference in the way species perceive reality that's out there. So a classic example would be a bat, right? A bat does not see, but a bat can use sonar to navigate in the dark. So whatever that bat is experiencing, it's completely different than what you and I are experiencing. A dog has more sense receptors in the nose and uses smell to navigate more than we do and can smell a seizure coming on or in some cases can smell cancer. So whatever aroma that comes to the dog that represents seizure or represents cancer or represents whatever, it's a different experience, sensory experience that the dog is having than what the bat is having than what you and I are having. And it's all because of the brain and the circuitry and the way things are wired. Makes basic sense, right? So what Dr. Hoffman and his team postulates, or what they've proven, mathematically, he says they've proven it, is that evolution does not favor species who perceive the truth out there or who perceive reality as it actually is. In fact, he said every time, in the simulations and with the math, every time a species will see reality as it is out there for what it really is, see even a fragment of reality, the species dies off instantly. That the species that are able to adapt and survive are the species who cloak reality, whatever is objectively out there, as something else, and all of that is happening in the mind. So that everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything that we feel, touch, taste, and experience is not as it is. It's all generated by our minds. Now, that's not saying there is nothing out there. It's just saying that whatever is out there, we are completely distorting as something other than what it is based on the survival of our species. That means none of it is real. So, for example, I have this cup of coffee, I think. Feels like a cup. There's this liquidy stuff in here. I drink it. It tastes good. I have a taste. I have a sensation. I have an experience. But now here's here's a couple interesting things. This is where this explains some stuff. There are what are known out there as synesthesia. It's a it's a condition. Synesthesia. Synesthes. It's the name for these people. 
Walt Disney was one of these. These are people who in their sensory perceptions hear colors. So in other words, when a color is put in front of them, they may hear a sound. Or they see sounds. They see music. Some of your, uh, I forget which one of the famous composers was a synesthese, and they could see the music. So you think about Fantasia with, you know, when the music's playing and all this stuff's happening, that's kind of an insight into the mind and world of a synesthese. There is a uh, chef that Dr. Hoffman talks about who feels tastes. And whenever he puts mint in his mouth, it feels like a smooth crystal column. And he became a fabulous chef because he could feel around all these different flavors. So in other words, put mint in the mouth and instantly it feels like he's touching something. Instantly he has all the same sensations of me touching something. A synesthese will have the exact same experience as this, but it's coming from their taste buds, not their hands. But they're feeling it with their hands. And so he could feel the different textures of flavors and sculpt a meal. So the question becomes, which one is real? The sensation of tasting or the sensation of feeling? Is it possible that a synesthese is a genetic hack that somehow is perceiving the world out there more accurately than we're perceiving it based on conformity to the evolutionary adaptations of our species. So in other words, <laughs> in other words, everything, now this, this is, let me back this up. There are other people that are postulating this from different different fields. Uh, I want to say it's Elon Musk, but I could be wrong. But there are people out there promoting a theory. We heard this from Greg Braden the first time we saw him back in 2016, that we're totally living in a virtual in – a, now, Braden was saying a computer-simulated AI, uh, artificially intelligence, computer-simulated – Reality, very much like in the Matrix movies, or if you ever saw the movie The 13th Floor. If you haven't seen The 13th Floor, I recommend you go out and watch it. So he was postulating that all of this was a simulation and that we existed as a higher intelligence, that we're born as avatars in order to come here and learn things, but that none of it's real. It's all sensory simulation. Now, Hoffman's not saying there's not something out there. What he's saying is that the something that's out there we have no idea what it is. So to give the, to, he uses the example of a computer interface, which is what we're doing right now. So you're seeing my image coming across your screen, but I'm not there. You're hearing my voice, but I'm not there. What is there? You're seeing an image. You're seeing a simulation of me that is actually being created by the technology within your computer. So what's real is not me in your living room or car or wherever it is that you are. And what's real about you is not the pictures that I see in the comments that you're making. 
what's real is this computer and all the circuitry and technology and the the computer language and programming. That's what's actually there. So what's actually there is some computer language that is programmed this stuff. What's actually there is my computer. What's actually there is the circuitry and the electricity and the cords and all that stuff. That's what's real. That's reality. But what I am experiencing, what you're experiencing, is me coming across to you. And what I'm experiencing is this interface or interaction that we can have through the comments, right? You get it? So the computer programming is there to hide reality for the purpose of functionality. So functionally, what's happening is we're having this communication and this shared experience. That's functionally what's happening. But in the world out there, at least in terms of the computer, what's happening is, like I said, all the circuitry. So Hoffman's saying that's exactly what the world is like. That's exactly what our senses are like. When you take an email and you type an email, you're not sitting with a piece of paper and there's no ink. You're transmitting something. This allows us to bypass time and space because it used to be you had to have an actual piece of paper, what we perceive as a piece of paper, with an actual pen that we perceive what we perceive as a pen. Writing with actual ink, which is just what we perceive as ink, not what's really there. Start to get it. But we're writing this, so there's an actual paper, actual pen, actual ink. We put it in the mailbox, and somebody carries it. Now you have a computer language, an Internet, a cloud, and a computer, and you can sit there, and as you're typing, there is no actual paper, there is no actual ink, none of that. All of that is whatever it is, and then you hit send and it goes. You're not seeing the processes. Again, you're not seeing the computer language. You're not seeing the circuitries. You're not seeing, used to be we had to go through the phone lines, right? So you're not seeing the phone lines or you're not seeing the waves that are in the air or the satellites. or You're not seeing any of that stuff. That's the reality of what's out there. All you're seeing is the email that you're typing and sending to your friend and when your friend gets it. So the computer system is built to disguise reality, to hide what's uh, there, to actually completely disguise what's there for the purpose of interaction and functionality. Because here's the point. If I, if I was just tinkering with my computer and I was seeing all the different processes that are going on inside the computer, there's no functionality to what I'm doing. I'm seeing it as it really is, but it's not allowing me to interact and function. Which is why if a species sees one speck of reality as it is, it goes extinct almost immediately. In every equation, algorithm, and simulation that they've done, and he says they've done hundreds of thousands of them, that's exactly what happens. So bringing this all together, <laughs> the point is, none of it's real. 
your senses are lying to you the entire time in the sense that you're not perceiving what's out there. So then the question gets presented to Dr. Hoffman, what, well, what is out there? And he says, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. Because <laughs> it's just a theory. He's trying to acknowledge the fact he's making an assumption. But based on the math, based on his knowledge of cognitive science, based on his thoughts and the mathematicians and other scientists that work with them, what they believe exists is an interactive, social, conscious, social consciousness network. That what actually exists out there is only consciousness. And conscious entities or conscious beings. And that the entire web of life is a interaction with these social conscious entities and that we're all interacting and that our particular, what he would call virtual reality headset gives us portals into other consciousnesses but more importantly eliminates or closes portals to other forms of consciousness and this is where it gets really interesting especially from a shamanic point of view and a religious point of view and even a christian point of view in the beginning was the word consciousness and all things were made by this uh, you start talking about things seen and things not seen I mean, it just opens up a whole new world, but also for sensory perception or extrasensory perception, which is where I want to go. So I don't want to get too bogged down on this. But so Hoffman is postulating that we're in this giant social network. And he uses Twitter, the Twitterverse as an example. There are billions of tweets, millions and millions and millions of users all interacting on this same interface of Twitter, which is a virtual reality that allows for this interaction. And you can't possibly read every tweet, follow every trend, or know every person. So you have to eliminate the vast majority of them and focus on your friends, the people you're following, maybe topics, maybe an area, maybe a specific trend. So you're editing all of that. You're focusing on this stuff. But what you're focusing on is still not the stuff itself, because just like I used the example of this, in the Twitterverse, those tweets and those all of that's got a completely different reality that makes it happen. So again, our sense perceptions are lying to us the entire time. They're not showing us a speck of reality. Nothing is as it seems. But it is allowing for us to function or interact in this vast network of consciousness. In other words, everything is consciousness. Everything is mind. And we, our five physical senses, what we call our five physical senses, is something that is completely generated from our mind as a projection that allows us to have experiences within this vast network of interactive or interacting conscious beings. Because, again, at the smallest level, at the level of quantum, at the level of Photons, we talked about this earlier. A photon has to decide whether to be a particle or a wave based on the presence of an observer. So there appears to be 
conscious choice at the very basis of reality. But Dr. Hoffman would say the photon itself isn't the thing. The map is not the territory. It's what we perceive with our virtual reality headset as photons. Now, I want you to think about this in the sense of the potential this could open for us if we let go of our biases about our senses. And I want you to think about the possibility of extrasensory perceptions, that if we can get around this in some way or if we could think about this and realize, because people people who have, you know, back in the day, when we were training people in the prophetic and words of knowledge and, you know, different things, is it me, is it God, is it the devil, right? Maybe it's just in my mind. If I see an angel in my mind, is the presence of the angel real? Are disembodied Spirits and presences real? Or am I making it up in my mind? Because we have this dualism where we separate because we believe that what we see, that seeing this computer, feeling this chair and tasting this coffee, this is what's objectively real. It's going to be real. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to have any sensory perception of it. But it's still real, this object permanence. So I'm going to come back to it, and it's going to be there. So we have this division between the inside and the outside. We have this wondering, are these spiritual experiences real? Hold on one second. Are these experiences real versus the experiences in my mind? Are my emotions as real as what's out there? Are my thoughts, my imaginations, all this stuff? But what 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 spiritual traditions have told us from the beginning of time, like shamans say, this is all a dream. That's what the, the, the shaman would say. We are all experiencing a shared dream. We are dreaming reality into existence. So what the shaman were saying millennia ago, now Dr. Hoffman and these scientists are saying, but they're giving a scientific mathematical explanation for it. So here's what I'm trying to say. There is no out there and in here. There is no dualism between consciousness and matter or spirit and matter or the outside and the inside or the above or the beneath or the physical or the visible and the invisible. It's all consciousness. It's all in the mind. It's all a dream. Now, that does not mean there's not something out there. In other words, I'm not dreaming you up. There is something (laughs) there when I'm having a relationship with someone else. They are part of this consciousness network, but what I am seeing and experiencing is not what they are at all. So when I look at you, and Hoffman uses this example, when I look at you, I see hair, I see eyes, I see skin, I see all that stuff, and that gives me a portal into your consciousness. But what I don't see is your thoughts, your dreams, your disappointments, your headache. You're a vast system of consciousness. You're a vast system of consciousness. 
and I can hear you talk. And if we're sitting down, I can watch your body language and your facial expressions and all that stuff. But again, I'm blocked at a level of sensory perception, at least as I understand it, from being able to know the totality of your consciousness and your conscious experience. My dog is a conscious agent, independent of me. If I die, he's going to continue to exist. Or if he dies, I'm going to continue to exist. You understand what I'm saying? But I have a portal, at least somewhat, into what his experience is. And he has a portal, at least somewhat, into mine. But we don't know what the other is really experiencing. Now, what Dr. Hoffman would say is that a rock is also a conscious agent. A rock is also a conscious agent. But my virtual, my VR set has closed off the portal of communication. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and this, you're going to think I'm crazy, but one, one of the things that we did when we were in Arizona in 2017 that was really life-changing was we worked with, uh, and I, I was, <clears throat> you know, was afraid to disclose this for years, but we worked with a shaman, uh, a real one, <laughs> like a real one that, that got taught the and initiated in the indigenous traditions. Very interesting had very powerful healing, transforming experiences. And one of the things we did, she, she took us on a free retreat to Sedona, Arizona. And one of the things we did, she talked about the stone people. And one of the therapeutic things that we did was we went out and off by ourselves. And you would look for a stone that you could perceive a face in the carvings on the stone. And that was the stone people. And you would sit there and talk to the stone and then receive intuitively messages back from the stone. And I had a very powerful and healing experience talking to a rock. And I remember we gathered back together after that experience and I was sharing with the group, if my church members could see me now, if my past self could see me now, I'm talking to a stinking rock. And I feel like there's an actual communion that's going on. I didn't know that the ancient indigenous traditions was that the stones were people, that they were consciousness, and that you could talk to the stone people. So I'm talking to a rock, right? But I remember that experience. Well, now Dr. Hoffman is presenting a mathematical and scientific explanation for what I experienced Five years ago in Sedona, Arizona. Indigenous people would talk to plants. You know, if you talk to your plant, I mean, they've done experiments where if you talk to the plant, the plant thrives. If you, uh, you know, this is another thing where, where shaman, but, but they open up realms. Here's the point. They open up realms of sensory perceptions that are other than the traditional evolutionary pre-installed VR virtual reality set. This is what's so cool because this means your, your experience of astral projection, if you've ever had that experience, or lucid dreaming, 
or your dreams in general, get something down to something maybe everybody can relate to, is just as real as drinking this cup of coffee. So this explains psychic phenomena. So let's suppose that there is no death. Let's suppose that death is simply just the putting off of this flesh. But my consciousness, it's a pulling off of the VR set, but my consciousness goes somewhere. And because space and time, quantum physics is beginning to show us, and Einstein's theory of relativity and all this stuff that, again, is above my pay grade, but I trust their conclusions. How they got there is where I get lost. But I trust these really smart people that time, and, and Hoffman says this too, that time and space does not exist. Non-locality is actually reality. So somehow, again, this network, time and space is part of the VR set that we put on. So a person who is psychic, or if you've ever had an experience where a loved one comes to you in a dream, or you have a sense of a loved one, even if you're not psychic, is able to somehow interface with that conscious agent or somehow able to interface and go beyond the limitations of the headset. And that's what's exciting about this. So if you remember, again, in the movie The Matrix, when the kid's bending the spoon, remember when the kid's bending the spoon? And he says, uh, he tells Neo, he says, you need to realize the truth. And the truth is there is no spoon. And once you realize there is no spoon, then you realize it's not the spoon that, that's bending, but you're the one that's bending. So then, if everything's consciousness and we're plugged in. Now, here's the other thing about these relationships. I want to get to this. I want to get to this. And then I'm going to have to finish this up. But if everything's consciousness, then your consciousness, and I am convinced of this, but this gives an explanation for it. What you experience as your consciousness, what I experience as my consciousness, is not a singularity, but rather the result of multiple social conscious interactions with multiple other consciousness, conscious entities feeding up into the interface that I know of as my mind. So that there are parts of me, like do you ever have a part of you like, why did I do that? That was so out of character for me to do that. Maybe it's not you at all. Maybe you're interacting with a consciousness that's feeding up into your level of awareness. Maybe that's what the subconscious is. Maybe our cells and our body and our chemistry, which aren't really there as we perceive them, they are something else altogether, according to Dr. Hoffman. Remember my disclaimer at the beginning, if you missed it, I'm not asserting this is absolute truth. I'm just sharing with you these discoveries. And you decide for yourself. You can go watch videos and interviews. You probably understand it better than me. But your cells and your chemistry and all that stuff is a consciousness network interacting that we perceive as chemistry, that we perceive as electrical uh, electricity, that we perceive as uh, cellular exchange and all this stuff. 
But what if those are little consciousnesses that are feeding up these experiences of emotions? And what if, yes, the mind is an interface. Brittany, yes, exactly. I just happened to catch that comment. So, and what if, now, see, again, this goes back to, to if you, and I know I'm going to talk a lot about the shamanic view of the world, but for, for, for shaman, entering altered states of consciousness is the entire, the entire thing, the entire ballgame. And I started getting interested in altered states of consciousness when I was a Christian, Book of Revelation says, John, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, but that's not what it says in the original language. In the original language, it says, I put myself in the spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, John did something to alter his state of consciousness to receive from these other realms and dimensions. And that's what, what shamanism is all about. But they would use a tree as a metaphor. And <clears throat> they would say you could go down into the roots of the tree. This would be going down and interacting with these sub subterranean levels of consciousness or the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, the subconscious impulses and the archetypes and all that stuff that's down there. And that is the realm of cause, the hidden realm of cause. It's also the realm of hell or Hades. And then you could go up or you could go up the branches of the tree. And if you go up the branches of the tree, now you're interacting with higher levels of consciousness. This would be what the New Agers would call the Ascended Masters, or other spiritual traditions would call the Ascended Masters, or what we might call in Christianity the Angels or the Archangels. These other conscious units are what some people would call now, they would use the framework of aliens. So you're interacting with these other realms of consciousness that maybe existed a higher level of consciousness complexity than you and I do. And they're feeding down to us if we're able to contact them. And all of this requires that we develop way, way, way more flexibility in the model that we're producing because we realize it's all the production of our consciousness. So if we can expand that then this also explains why faith can change things this explains why the law of attraction works because because everything is consciousness i don't have to change matter i just have to change myself there is no spoon and so if i can generate the right state of consciousness maybe i can heal myself if i can generate the right state of consciousness maybe i can shift my reality into more abundance. Maybe I can shift my reality into more uh, peace. I can shift my reality into more joy. I can shift my reality into more fun. All, all that stuff. <clears throat> I can feed into these, or I, I, can, I can interface with these Beings that I create in my mind as angels and archangels, that I don't create them, but I create the interface. So almost all spiritual traditions, going back to Dionysus, in the Christian tradition or the Christian mystical tradition, if you were to read things by Maximus the Confessor and Pseudo-Dionysus, forget the name of uh, the names of their works 
But both of them would say that the imagination or the icon, an icon is a religious painting, but the imagination is the portal, is the gateway to God and the angelic hierarchies. Yeah, that was, that was a pseudo-Dionysus, the spiritual hierarchies. So he's recognizing there are other higher entities, beings of light and holiness and goodness that are out there. And the gateway to communion is through the portal of the imagination. In other words, I have to tweak, I have to do something different with my headset, my virtual reality headset, in order to commune with those beings on those higher levels. Make sense? Uh, other traditions, scrying, if you're from more of a pagan, maybe even Wiccan tradition, scrying, having a scrying mirror, a black mirror or a crystal ball. The focus, the looking at that somehow shifts the consciousness that images begin to arise and fall or intuitions begin to come. Uh, oracle cards. Oracle cards present an image and a belief that you can bypass the traditional VR set and access information. So the card is just a card, whatever it is. We perceive it as a card, perceive the image in the card. But then that image produces in us, number one, the belief that somehow we can have extrasensory perception. And then number two, allows us to shift consciousness enough that we can receive some information or knowledge and share that that might be helpful with the other person. So anyway, um, that's it, gang. So let's look at some of these comments and see if we can interact a little bit. Um yeah, lo- love my crystals. I'm, uh, Michelle says, Don says, me too. Uh, fantastic realization. I'm drawn to trees. I'm sure they communicate. Yeah, that was another thing we did on that uh, little shamanic trip that we took. Uh, Angela says, I met a woman a few weeks back who says she was healed by rocks. She has no religious background, just intuitively needed to be carried down to the rocks, which she was indeed healed. Yeah. Um, interesting, huh? We we have to experience infinity in a finite body to know what it is. Yeah, good point. Um, Michelle says, acting out of consciousness, feeding into your level of awareness. Yeah. Um, Daryl says, so if our subconscious is a mixture of unique consciousnesses surfacing up into my mind, the truth is still the same. I am still in charge and responsible to synergize my mind-body to do what I want. Yep. Um, Brittany says, I'm interested in expanding. Me too. Uh, Jeremy says, you should expand on this, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm going to dive in some more to some of this stuff because it's really, really fascinating. Like I said, I've, I'm totally an amateur at this. Um Tender Anna Hart says, <clears throat> your mind has the ability 
or the same ability that Christ had to create. Yeah. Uh, Robert said he found a fantastic tarot reader on YouTube recently. I'd be interested in that. Um, kind of interested in tarot. Uh, all right. Thanks, guys. I hope this, uh, I hope this was helpful for you. Like I said, it's another trip down the rabbit hole. None of it, none of it is real. <laughs> At least not in how we perceive it. So thanks, guys. I enjoyed the time. Uh, bless you. Um, I, I'll throw this out at the end. If you want to, if you love what we're doing, if you're benefiting from what we're doing, uh, I do have a link that I've been putting up to our um, PayPal through the Awakening Center. Uh, again, we, we were meeting corporately and receiving offerings every week, uh, and we haven't been doing that. And a lot of people, because of the direction I've gone, I, this this whole experience for me, Facebook has been great because uh gives me the opportunity to connect with those locally who are still interested, but also connect internationally with people, dialogue with people who are of like minds. Um, so I'm not in a hurry to go back to the pastoring gig and having to deal with all that. Uh, but nevertheless, um, we still have the nonprofit organization. So if you want to help us, if you want to contribute, or if this has just been a benefit for you, I don't charge for classes. I mean, there are a lot of people that I can name people that I'm friends with that charge for everything and they charge exorbitant amounts and they believe they're worth it and good for them. But I can guarantee you the information I'm putting out is just as good, if not better than some of that. And you're not paying for it at all. So if it's benefiting you or being a blessing to you, consider making a donation through our PayPal account, through our website, uh, into our ministry so that we can, um, expand what we're doing uh, and try to make as much of it <clears throat> as free as possible. Um, I'm probably going to have to start charging uh, for content. Not that I'm going to stop doing this or stop sharing free content, but I'm going to have to design some courses where I am charging for content so that it's worth my time and energy and effort because the, the giving is where it's at. So it's not complaining. It's just inviting you if you want to and if this has been a blessing to you to share with us, to help us out. So anyway, God bless you. Namaste. Uh, you're awesome, whatever you are. The icon that I see of you, the interface that I have with you, it's been wonderful. So thanks again.